Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. And today, we're going to be discussing four cases where celebrities were arrested for hiring or attempting to hire a hitman to do their dirty business. However, money and fame didn't protect them from justice in these cases. Let's get into it. Case number three, Juan Carlos Cruz. In early May 2010, a man walked up to a couple of unhoused men in Santa Monica, California. He offered the men $1,000 to split if they'd kill someone for him. One of the unhoused men who went by Big Dave said he was uncomfortable killing in public. The man with the money offered to come back later and show him how to get into his house. After, Big Dave went to his police liaison officer and told them what the man had planned. This guy comes up to me and was like, I have a job. I was like, what kind of job? It's like, dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Law enforcement would set up a sting operation, and Big Dave agreed to wear a wire for the event. They would discover that this man was Juan Carlos Cruz, a Food Network celebrity chef with the show Calorie Commando. Juan Carlos Cruz moved to the United States when he was three years old with his family from the Dominican Republic. He reported being fascinated with cooking his whole life. He went to culinary school in California with a focus on pastry. After graduating, he got a job as the sous pastry chef at the Hotel Bel Air. He made pastries for famous stars like Oprah, Jack Nicholson, and Julia Roberts before landing himself in TV. He was married to his high school sweetheart, Jennifer Campbell. Law enforcement quickly discovered that it was his beloved wife, Jennifer, who had been the intended target of the hit. On May 12th, Cruz would take Big Dave to his apartment and show him how to get in undetected. He gave him the code to the security system, and he told Big Dave to slit Jennifer's throat, but later changed his mind to strangulation, so there wouldn't be much of a mess to clean up. It was all for the relatively low sum of $1,000, but he gave the men strict instructions not to harm his dogs. He even offered to provide the men with dog treats so that their dogs wouldn't alert anyone when he entered the apartment. Once law enforcement had what they needed, they arrested Cruz, who was charged with attempted murder and solicitation to commit murder. He would plead not guilty. The defendant was charged with two separate uh, counts. The first count is attempted murder. It's a willful, deliberate, and premeditated attempt at murder. And count two is solicitation of murder. But by October 2010, he pleaded no contest to the solicitation to commit murder, and the prosecution dropped the attempted murder charge. He was sentenced in December 2010 to nine years in prison with the option of parole at four and a half years. 
Later, it would come out in the media that Cruz was alleging that he wanted to hire the men because his wife had been very depressed following multiple failed fertility treatments. They had spent over $200,000 on the treatment and were out of options. After the last round didn't work, his wife is reported to have wanted to kill herself, but couldn't do it for religious reasons. Cruz is alleged to have attempted to hire hitmen as an act of mercy so his wife didn't take her own life though his story changed multiple times over the course of the investigation. During the trial, his wife could be seen in the courtroom. After the conviction and sentencing, Cruz was not talked about in the media again. It is believed that he's still married to his wife. He would have been eligible for parole in 2015. If he'd finished his whole sentence, he would have been released in 2019. Case number two, Mike Danton. On April 16, 2004, Mike Danton, 24, was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder in a murder-for-hire plot that crossed state lines. Mike Danton, formerly Mike Jefferson, was a Canadian NFL hockey player. He was drafted in 2000 and was the 135th pick by the New Jersey Devils. He was ultimately traded to the St. Louis Blues, where he played his last game in the NFL. Danton was born and raised in Brampton, Ontario, and he's said to have had a strained relationship with his family. He formed a close relationship with his coach, David Frost. Frost was also the coach of Sheldon Keefe, who the NFL would also draft in 1999, a year earlier. He would go on to become the head coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. In his mid-30s in 2004, David Frost would become Danton and Keefe's agent within the NFL. Some were surprised by this because David Frost had been banned from several junior hockey leagues in Canada. He was accepted into the NFL Players Association as an agent. David Frost was very involved. Some would say he controlled what Danton could and couldn't do, making it so Danton had to come to Frost for every issue about his career. So what happened with Mike Danton? The FBI's order of events was that Mike Danton, while in the playoffs in San Jose, California, against the San Jose Sharks, Mike Danton called a woman that he'd had a brief relationship with, Katie Wolfmeyer, asking if she knew anyone who could help him hire someone for $10,000 to have someone killed. Katie then got Danton in touch with her acquaintance, Justin Levi Jones. Some reports say that Jones was with Katie when she first got the call and offered to help. Unknown to both Katie and Danton, Jones was a law enforcement officer in St. Louis. Jones reported that plan to the authorities, who then set up a recording so that Jones could accept the hit. Danton would ask Jones to kill the person that was staying in his apartment in the next few days. Danton would say he was afraid for his life and that the person coming in was coming to hurt him. Jones was asked to make it look like a burglary gone wrong, and the person who was in the apartment at that time was David Frost. The FBI would stipulate that Danton had a fight with Frost over his behavior of drinking and partying, and that Danton was worried that Frost would tell the NFL team about it, so that he wanted to have Frost killed before he could. Frost would deny to the media that he was the intended target even today. Danton and Frost would have multiple phone conversations while Danton was in jail awaiting trial until a judge banned communication between the two. The FBI had released some of these conversations. They would show a unique relationship between the two, including Frost telling Danton, if you love me, you should say it, with Danton ending the phone call with I love you. 
These phone conversations would bring some speculation of a more of a relationship between the two, but it's never been confirmed. While awaiting trial, Danton lawyers had him evaluated by a psychologist. It is believed that they might have tried to mount an insanity defense, but in July 2004, Danton pleaded guilty to the federal conspiracy to commit murder. Because the phone call had crossed state lines, it was a federal case from the beginning. When he pleaded guilty, he said David Frost had been the intended target. Prosecutors allowed Danton to apply to be moved to a Canadian prison facility as he pleaded guilty. At that time, Danton's lawyers hoped to get him moved quickly because it was believed that they could get him better help in Canada as that prison system had better counseling opportunities for inmates. Mike Danton was sentenced on November 9, 2004 to seven and a half years. In March 2009, after five years in federal prison, the United States Bureau of Prisons approved Mike Danton's transfer to a Canadian prison. On September 11, 2009, Mike Danton was released from prison on parole. Conditions of his parole include no face-to-face meetings with David Frost and no contact with his father. Katie Wolfmeyer was also arrested on the same charge of conspiracy to commit murder. Her case went to trial as she turned down a two-year plea deal. She was eventually acquitted of all charges on September 2004. Mike Danton didn't testify at her trial. After being convicted, Mike Danton revealed that his intended target was his father. Danton said that he'd feared for his life around his father when he'd been abused by his father both physically and sexually. Mike Danton's father has denied this all and blames David Frost for his son's behavior and career downfall. There are multiple allegations against Frost for sexual harassment from other NFL and junior NFL players. He was charged in 2008 and went to trial but was acquitted in the end due to insufficient evidence. His systematic abuse appears to be an open secret in the NFL. According to sources, he's moved to the USA and works at a hockey academy in California, under a new name. The FBI is adamant that David Frost was the intended target, but both Frost and Danton have stated multiple times since then that it had been his father. While he was incarcerated, Mike Danton took a university course through correspondence. After Danton's release, he went to university in January 2010 at St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. There, he joined the university hockey team, the Huskies, and played his first game since 2004 in January 2010. His team would win the Canadian University Cup that year. He would eventually return to professional hockey. He was drafted into a Swedish professional hockey league in 2011 and he played his last professional game on a Polish team in 2017. Mike Danton now lives in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and says that going to jail changed his life, that, quote, I was in a pretty messed up state at the time, that's for sure, and it's a big reason why I went for psychology in my undergrad, and now I'm working towards my major in sports psychology. He now runs the Mike Danton Hockey Academy and works with future hockey players. Case number one. Robert Blake On May 4, 2001, 44-year-old Bonnie Lee Blakely was discovered to have been shot twice in her husband's car while he went to get something he'd left in the restaurant Vitello's in LA, California. The husband was famed actor Robert Blake, and the item he forgot at the restaurant was a handgun he'd alleged fell out of his pocket while dining. The restaurant was near the home he shared with his wife. Robert Blake was a well-known actor born in 1933. 
His first film credit was in 1939 working as a child actor. Born Michael James Vincenzo Gubitosi, the production company he worked for, MGM, suggested the name change to Bobby or Robert Blake. His most infamous role was the lead in a TV show called Barada and the 1967 movie In Cold Blood. Robert Blake would quickly be looked at with suspicion after his wife's death. Blake would tell police that he was not with his wife when she was shot because he'd returned to the restaurant to retrieve a gun that had fallen from his pocket. He told police he was carrying the weapon to protect his wife and she had a criminal past. Bonnie Lee Bakley was married to Robert Blake only six months after a paternity test proved that Bakley's daughter, who had initially been named Christian Shannon Brando, named because Blakely originally believed this child's father to be Christian Brando, son of famous actor Marlon Brando. After the test proved that Blake was the father, her name was changed to Rose Lenore Sophia Blake, and the two were wed shortly after. Robert Blake was Bonnie's 10th husband. Some of her marriages only lasted one day. Two she'd met at a jazz club. She was reported to seek out older men, some famous, some for money, her longest marriage was only five years, and she'd four children in total. After the shooting, information on who Bonnie was came to life. She was known to be a con woman who would put out ads in magazines, and if a man answered the ad, she would send provocative pictures of herself in hopes that they would reach out to her and she could convince them to give her money or even blackmail them. Some reports have said that she even used her eldest daughter to entrap men. Friends of Bonnie admitted that she was obsessed with celebrities, and she not only tried to become famous in her own right, but she'd do anything to marry a star. Some of her cons would get her arrested. In 1989, she was arrested on drug-related charges. In 1995, she was arrested for check fraud, and in 98, she was arrested again for fraud having possessed multiple driver's licenses and social security cards. She was sentenced to three years probation. She was still on probation when she met Robert Blake. Bonnie is alleged to have used men to get ahead and put herself in the limelight. So it was said that when she snagged a real Hollywood star, an established actor with a storied career, it had been a dream come true. But the feeling wasn't shared with her new husband. Law enforcement revealed to the press that the gun Blake had left in the restaurant had been tested and it was confirmed to have not been used to shoot Bonnie. However, on the day of the murder, Blake was tested for gunshot residue on his hands and clothes and tested positive. There were no witnesses to the crime. A busser from the restaurant would later contradict the account and say that there was no gun left at the restaurant when he cleared the table right after the couple had left. The murder weapon was discovered in a garbage dumpster near the crime scene with one bullet still in the chamber. It was noted as being an unusual vintage revolver. The gun wasn't registered to Blake, and law enforcement couldn't find a connection to any owner. Robert Blake's home was searched, with authorities finding similar ammunition to that used in the murder, and reported that three bullets were missing from the box. It took nearly a year for the prosecution to gather enough evidence, and in April 2002, Robert Blake was arrested at his sister's home. He'd been staying there with his daughter. He was charged with two counts of solicitation of murder and one count with special circumstances, which meant that the star could face the death penalty. Earl Caldwell, Blake's bodyguard, was also arrested and charged. 
allegations that the star had asked two stunt performers that had formerly worked with Blake if they could kill his wife reported having offered the men $10,000. Both men have stated that they refused the offer and testified at his trial. However, it was deemed suspicious that neither man went to law enforcement sooner with the information. Authorities believe that Robert Blake had killed his wife himself after he tried and failed to hire someone to kill her. Blake is reported to have felt trapped in his marriage to Blakely and just wanted it to end. He had hired a private investigator to dig into Bonnie's past, and it was only then that he discovered Bonnie had continued her lonely heart scam even after they were married, which included sending nude photographs. It was later revealed that the two never lived together. Bonnie lived in a guest house on Blake's property, and the two shared custody of Rose. It was revealed that the couple had a tumultuous relationship, and I think that's kind of an understatement. Blake never truly trusted his new wife. Her pregnancy had been unexpected, to say the least, and letters between the two revealed how they discussed at great lengths about what to do about the pregnancy. Though it wasn't just Robert Blake who had motive to murder Bonnie. She had swindled men across the country, some out of their entire life savings. After her murder, records were discovered in her home, meticulously detailed ledgers with who sent her money, when, and for how much. Friends of Bonnie revealed that her victims had often threatened her. They also stated that Bonnie had told them that Robert Blake threatened to kill her. She told her brother she thought that Robert might murder her. After Robert Blake was arrested, he spent almost a year behind bars before a bail was set at one and a half million dollars. He was kept on house arrest until the trial. Blake also paid the one million dollar bond for his bodyguard. The trial started in December 2004 and lasted until March 2005. Blake was initially found not guilty of murder and one of the solicitations of murder charges. The second charge was dropped after the jury was deadlocked at 11 to 1 for acquittal. Blake's acquittal had left mixed feelings in the press. Some believed he was still guilty. Blakely's three oldest children filed a civil case against Robert Blake, stating he was responsible for Bonnie's death. In November 2005, the civil jury found that Robert Blake was liable for the wrongful death of his wife. He was ordered to pay $30 million. In 2006, Blake filed for bankruptcy. He attempted to appeal the decision in 2007, in which the court upheld the verdict, but changed the awarded money to $15 million. In civil court, Earl Caldwell, Blake's bodyguard, was also acquitted and found not liable for the death. I've read your book. Yes. That much That's you pretty read. much every detail of your life. Yeah. Here's you my deem- phony birth certificate. I don't even know when the hell I was born. But I've read your book. This is about your life. So I'm much more familiar with your Bonnie's life. It's not about Bonnie's life. And it's not about my relationship with Bonnie. I made a deal to come here and talk about anything in the book. I excused you from that deal because I thought you were going to go be cool. Now you're trying to drive it into the ground. And I don't know why. I'm not trying to you're drive anything into the ground. foolish. I'm not trying to drive anything into the ground. I'm asking you questions about what I presumed to be a very important moment in your life. You've written a book about your life. In I which written you a don't book about my detail. life. I didn't write a book about that night, and I didn't write a book about Bonnie. Now, you can stay there for the rest of your life if you want to, but I'm telling you, you're starting to look silly. Why? Because it's stupid. You're not getting any place because there's no place to get. You're just like the cops. There's no place to get. Keep him in jail till he dies, because everybody who's dead is guilty. 
Why would I marry her if I was going to kill her? I mean, I was worth $25 million. I could have hired somebody to kill her when she was in Tibet or someplace. I, she drove all over the country. She was out selling, doing her. I could have hired somebody to follow her for 10 months and make her disappear so nobody would ever find her, for Christ's sake. I would go out to dinner with her to kill her. What the, the matter with you? I didn't say you killed her. You didn't say I didn't. After the acquittal and bankruptcy, Blake maintained a low profile, only doing a few interviews now and again. In 2019, he started a YouTube channel called Robert Blake. I ain't dead yet, so stay tuned. That same year would be the first time Rose would come forward to talk about her life since her mother's death. Rose had been 11 months old when her mother died, and since had lived with Blake's oldest daughter, Delilah. Rose didn't see her father after she turned five, and in 2019, she visited her father for the first time since then. In an interview, she is said to have talked about an interest in acting and knowing the truth about what happened to her mother. She didn't comment if she believed her father had done it. After all the legal fees and civil judgments paid, Robert Blake was broke. He lived off his social security and the Screen Actor Guild's pension for the rest of his life. In March 2023, Robert Blake died at the age of 89 of heart disease. Bonnie Lee Bakley's murder remains unsolved. Well, folks, we've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.